Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. My name is Rob Peters, and joining me from Charlotte is Josh Roller. Another jam-packed weekend of racing means that there's a lot of news to cover and a lot of races to discuss. Believe me, I was up uh, about all night on Saturday into Sunday uh, watching all those crazy races, and I'm going to get to talk about them. I'm going to get to talk about them, so I'm excited about that. Uh, Josh is laughing at me over here because he knows that I'm a bit crazy for staying up to watch obscure races. But, uh, hey, hey, you know, diehard people, diehard fans, that's what they do. Or yeah. diehard enthusiasts, I guess is what I should say. Yeah. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right into things by plugging the Twitters first. So remember, if you like what you hear uh, and you want to hear more and you want to follow us, interact with us, and then do whatever, you know, don't stalk us, but, you know, you can talk with us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at rpeters33. That is R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh is at roller underscore zero one. That's R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And our show can be found at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. So let's go ahead and jump into the Rob's Racing Report because there's some uh, news to talk about because there was a lot of news over the weekend, not just over the weekend, but over the week in general. Um, the first thing that we talked about last week was the uh, protest from Renault uh, in Formula One r- protesting Racing Point's brake ducts. No decision was made on the legality of Racing Point's uh, RP20 car before the Hungarian Grand Prix. That has left the car open to further protest, but Renault, the Renault protest is only for the car's state following the steering Grand Prix. A new protest would need to be filed after Hungary, which did, uh, which did occur. Following the Hungarian Grand Prix, Renault did lodge a second formal protest against Racing Point's brake system once more as the car was in the same state as it was following the Styrian Grand Prix. Head of the FIA single-seater racing, Nicholas Tambazis, I butchered that, I don't usually butcher names, but that one took me off guard, uh, predicts that the Racing Point will deliver its defense much sooner than the three-week deadline and expects a hearing before the August 2nd British Grand Prix. So that's coming up here in about two weeks. So hopefully we'll find out uh, what's going on with uh, Racing Point if uh, they did indeed copy Mercedes and if Renault has a legitimate complaint or if Renault is kind of just screaming into the void. We'll find out. Uh, and now, and here's another piece of news that we'll discuss, but it's a bit, bit of the fallout from uh, most recent NASCAR event. Uh, but Brad Keselowski was very upset following yesterday's O'Reilly Auto Parts 500 at Texas. He was upset with uh, Quinn Houff's decision to, uh, I'll quote Matt Weaver here, uh, turn into pit gro- in a pit lane from the second groove into the outs. Uh, but uh, hey. Uh, it wasn't the second groove. Matt Weaver called it from the uh, turn four grandstands, which I thought was a little bit more uh, justif- was a little bit more uh, how do I what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more realistic compared considering what he actually did. Um, but anyway, so Quinn Hauf, uh turned down from, like I said, the grandstands basically, all the way up at the top of the racetrack uh, in the middle of turns three and four, and then hit Christopher Bell and then hit Matt De Benedetto, who turned Hauf into the outside wall. Uh Hauf posted a video on Twitter apologizing for his mistake and shared that a side mirror had fallen off, preventing him from seeing uh, out of his left side. I don't know if I buy that, because spotters exist, but okay. Uh, Keselowski said to the media, quote, I would like to see drivers be able to graduate into this level, and equally, I'd like to see them be able to be removed from this level when they have repeated issues. I can't speak enough to the gentleman, that, uh, meaning Quinn Half, that it 
it had that issue today, but I have seen in the past where drivers that have had this issue multiple times somehow are still here, where I think they should effectively be placed in a lower series or asked to go back to a more minor league level to prove their salt. So we will discuss that a little bit later in the show, but uh, that's something that a lot of people are talking about this Monday uh, today. Another piece of news today from MotoGP round. Uh, Six-time MotoGP champion Mark Marquez suffered a vicious crash during yesterday's MotoGP season opener at uh, Jerez. Uh, Mar- Marquez suffered a broken arm, which we'll ha- he will have operated on tomorrow. That's Tuesday, uh, July 21st. Uh, he will miss the second round and the second race at Jerez. He hopes to return to racing on August 9th at uh, Brno in the Czech Republic, but his doctor admitted that recovery could take longer. Uh, Motorsport.com learned that Honda doesn't have any intention to replace Marquez. So this is the first time Marquez will miss a race due to injury. So MotoGP news coming on with that. Because MotoGP is back. If you watched it, it was on NBC, ESN, over the weekend. It came on right after the NASCAR event. Um, Trying to figure out how we watch Moto E, Moto 3, and Moto 2 in the United States. Because I thought there was supposed to be some kind of streaming option, but there wasn't. So... I, at least not that I could find from NBC Sports Gold. I thought that there was going to be. Maybe I misread the press release when they got the coverage, but I struggled to find a live feed of hmm. the race that was not pirated. So it was supposed to be streamed too. I thought it was too, but I, I couldn't find any place. Because I, I like watching Moto E because the races are so short, but the car the, the bikes are so close together. And I like that Moto E. I watched a lot of it last year when it got going, and... I really wanted to watch more of it this season, uh, but it looks like it might not be an easy thing for me to do. So, oh well. Uh, not much I can do about that. But moving on to another piece of news, back to the NASCAR world over over here in the States. Oh, yeah, let's talk about this. This is something that I think we forget happened, but on Wednesday, the All-Star, night, the All-Star race happened at Bristol. Uh, Michael McDowell was in the news this week for an on-track incident with Bubba Wallace during last Wednesday's night's All-Star Open at Bristol Motor Speedway. But McDowell has also expressed uh, interest in continuing with Front Row Motorsports. McDowell is having a career year in the Cup Series with an average finish, improving by nearly five-hole positions. McDowell has also tied his record of top ten finishes of two halfway through the season and has more lead lap finishes, which is 13, than any other previous year. McDowell told racing experts, the racing experts, ooh, Good plug to Dominic Aragon and Justin Malillo. Love those guys. Um, McDowell told the racing experts that he credits the improvement in the team to more manufacturer support and employees at FRM. Uh, speaking more to that, has McDowell like really said anything about the Bubba incident, like addressing like what happened? I don't think so. I I don't think anybody asked him. I think no. every everybody went straight to Bubba. Nobody even asked Michael McDowell what was going on in his head when. Which he, is wrong. Someone should have asked that. That would have been the first thing I would have asked if I was in the media center or something. I would yeah. be like, dude, can we get Michael to comment on this for like just five minutes? Right. I mean, it shouldn't take that long for him to comment on an incident that he's in. I mean, you got to get both sides. You can't just. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't I didn't read any stories that had McDowell quoted. So I don't I know. I, I feel like there was there was ample time to get a I mean, quote five minutes. Him. Someone down there in the media center would have got to him. You know, or you would or, think. Or you think Fox would have taken time or would have definitely been there if, if, if NASCAR would have made McDowell be there. Someone would have got there. But yeah. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I wanted to hear McDowell's response to it because it, it felt mean to me that everyone was taking Bubba's side and nobody was hearing McDowell's side because, I mean, when you look at the video, it's like, oh, Clay, he clearly turned dead left and hooked him. 
But I want to give McDowell the benefit of the doubt and say he didn't intent wreck him and say there was something else, and I want to know if that was the case. I want to know what his defense is. You want to see the reaction, like, can he sell it? Yeah, can for real. And, 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 can, and can he sell I mean, I, I think – I think he was frustrated. I think he, I mean, we can, we'll probably talk about, we won't talk about it later now, maybe, but I think he was just frustrated. He got used up and he was on the high side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was tired of getting used up and he took his frustrations out on a guy who had a chance to win one of the stages or the fan vote. Yeah, pretty much. So I, I would like to know more about, more about that, but uh, more, more Bubba Wallace news. Uh, Cash App signed a deal with Richard Petty Motorsports for five races. And we saw that over the weekend at Texas. Uh, the bright green car was not a GoDaddy car to my uh, disarray. It was indeed Cash App car uh, driven by Bubba Wallace this weekend. Uh, in Richard Petty Motorsports' press release, it stated that this is Cash App's first partnership with a professional sports team as well as its first traditional athletic sponsorship. Cash App also purchased advertising at Texas Motor Speedway with sponsorship painted on the pavement at both ends of Pit Road. As a promotion, Cash App also issued $43 payments to some users with the hashtag #RideWithBubba. So that's kind of interesting. Cash App is a pretty neat little way to uh, send and receive money. Personally, I like Zelle because it goes straight through my bank, but Cash App is also not bad either. Uh, but anyway, uh, next piece of news. Speedway Motorsports' Mike Birch told Sports Business Journal that the Bristol All-Star Race had a crowd of in the mid-20s, so about 20,000 people we're looking at. Uh, capacity was capped at 30,000. FS1 earned uh, two point. Uh, 0.67 million viewers down from the 2.448 million for our 2019's May All-Star Race at Charlotte on a night. Saturday night. Uh, the Open was up, however. It pulled in uh, 1.516 million viewers in 2020, up from the 1.2110 million number in 2019. Uh, so after yesterday's O'Reilly Auto Parts 500, the official Twitter account of DraftKings Sportsbook tweeted... Turn $40 into $5,040. Not a bad day at the track uh, for a better who took Austin Dillon to win. So apparently it looks like somebody put 40 bucks on Austin Dillon to win yesterday. And they turned it into 5000 So they got a big stimulus check mm-hmm. uh, before ever all of uh, the rest of us did. Pretty yeah. cool to see them tweet that out. That's why I, yeah. I just thought yeah, that was pretty- I mean- I mean, that's, that's, that's a great stat to, to see that uh, you can you – can- could start betting on some of these NASCAR races. I think it's more fun to bet on NASCAR races than it would be to bet on horses because at least with NASCAR races, it might be a little bit easier to predict who might who might win. But I didn't predict Austin Dillon winning. So like we were talking earlier, so if you give me the option to put money on Kevin Harvick or Austin Dillon, uh, I'm probably going to take Harvick because I have a higher odds to win even though yeah. I'm not going to win as much money. Um, so, eh. Someone, someone, some Austin Dillon fan or someone who just had a good feeling or a time traveler, who knows, uh, mm. ma- made some money yesterday. So. Yeah. Uh, from today on Tuesday, we've got some late breaking news here. This is our last piece of news before we move on to the featured paid scheme. And this is going to be a little, this is pretty much one of the most controversial news stories from this morning, I think. Yes. And from today in general, uh, Bob Pockers tweeted that NASCAR's Scott Miller confirmed that there will be no practice or qualifying through Dover. The 24th and 25th races of the regular season. That means that teams will not practice or qualify for the inaugural race at the Daytona International Speedway Road Course at any series. So neither ARCA, Trucks, Xfinity, or Cup are going to see a lap before they take the green flag at the Daytona Motor Speedway Road Course. This is going to be a disaster of epic proportions. 
yeah, they must be thinking that they're going to get time on the simulator. But let's let's look at the spectrum here. Do you think they're going to give Quinn Half equal time on the simulator compared to Chase Elliott? No. Yeah, you got to give the you got to give guys track time, man. I'm immediately lobbying like, hey, we got to give us at least an opportunity to go out there and make five laps just so we can know the course in a, in, in a, in a little way because they haven't even released what the official circuit's going to be yet. And I imagine there's going to be a, an additional chicane or two yeah. on the circuit compared to what IMSA runs with the 24 hours. So it's pro- yeah, it's probably going to be a different circuit and you know, you don't, I don't understand why they can't have a 30 minute session yeah. for everybody. I well, mean, a warm up, just a like- warm up session. Yeah, you're right. I don't feel like that should be a, that hard, or it, it would be that time consuming. You know, you don't have to broadcast it. You could just have a morning warm up session that happens in the morning, yep. like most series do. They have morning warm up sessions, so they get to go see the tracks, figure out the conditions before they go and do anything, or at the very least, a track walk. I mean, come on. I, don't- I imagine they'll probably let the guys do a track walk. I mean, at, at some level there, but I'm immediately lobbying. We we need laps. We need laps, especially if we don't know what the circuit is going to be today. Hundred no. percent, I agree. Uh, so that finishes the news for this week. Uh, those big lots of news, but hey, we've got more stuff to talk about here coming up on the Racing and Ro- with Robin Roller podcast. Uh, coming up, where let's go straight into our featured paint scheme, the 2010 NASCAR Nationwide Series, which was the last season that saw use of the car of yesterday, which was. Oh, so beautiful in so many ways, in my opinion. But I also believe that the the car of tomorrow for the Nationwide Series was actually pretty good. It was a beautiful yeah. car. The Mustang was. The Mustang, when it came out, was good. Oh, uh, it took, it, it took uh, Toyota and, and Chevrolet a couple of years to bring the pony cars in. But we started out with uh, Challengers and Mustangs and, for some reason, Impalas and Camrys. But now we got Mustangs and Camaros and Supras. So I guess it all worked out in the end. Yeah. Uh, but Josh, I want to know about uh, all of this. This okay? I, I saw it. I saw your featured paint scheme. I'm jealous because this was one of my favorite ones. This is one of the best paint schemes of the last 20 years, in my opinion. Period. In in all three series. I mean, this one was just beautiful in every facet of the of, of the of the imagination. It's one of my favorite paint schemes of all time. Um, so, Josh, tell us all about it because I love thinking about this one in my head, and I'm about to do that for however long it takes you to talk. <laughs> Well, um, thank you. Um, this one has a little bit of a family connection, actually. And uh, by the way, it, it we were recording this on my grandma's birthday. Happy birthday to my grandma! Yeah, happy um, birthday. Yeah. Uh, so the family connection is is that my grandpa uh, worked for this company for twenty two years. I am choosing um, Colin Brown's number sixteen Conway Freight. Ford, he drove for Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, as you mentioned, it was two different cars. So you had the uh, the Fusion and then the Mustang out there. Um, it was Brown's rookie season after driving two seasons with Conway and Roush in the truck series. Uh, the car was a flame design with a silver base, um, but uh, was then had a black base underneath. That was very, very, very kind of interesting paint scheme but again you say it's just so beautiful so black and then uh you had the silver base for the flames and then the flames were lined with blue and white lining uh which were the colors for conway 
freight. Um, the 16 was styled like Greg Biffle's 16 in the Cup Series. Um, but unfortunately for Brown, his rookie season was mildly derailed early when performance was missing, kind of off the get-go there. Uh, I don't want to put all the blame on Brown because I don't. I think it was a it was a mixture of him and the team, and you know Roush was somewhat declining at that point in time. And this like just seemed like the effort wasn't there for the the Xfinity teams in 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 2010. Um, so when the performance was missing, he was replacing the 16 when Conway Freight wasn't sponsoring the car. So he drove the Conway Freight sponsored car in 18 races um and then four with roush fenway just slapping its logos on there and then another two with 3m but in the 18 races with conway his best start was second at gateway in july um and he also had a best start uh, of the year uh excuse me excuse me i got that messed up there so his best start was second at gateway in july uh and then he had a best finish the seventh at gateway and then at phoenix in november so that was that was his year. Uh, he had a couple good runs, but again, just kind of missing for what they were looking for when you had Trevor Bain and then uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And I think I think he raced a few races in ten, right? Yeah, Stenhouse was in the Stenhouse and Bain. No, Bain was still with um, Michael Waltrip. That's like right. He was still with Michael Waltrip. So Stenhouse was in the six. Stenhouse right. was in the six full time. That's right. That's right. So yeah, that was mine. Um, it's kind of hard not to, to. First off, it's a great paint scheme. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love this one more than 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 the than the truck scheme he ran for two seasons. Uh, I think way they better were, than the truck scheme, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, so this one, um, shout out to my grandpa there. Um, and uh, it was just an awesome paint scheme too. Awesome paint scheme. So Rob, why don't you tell us about yours? Yeah. So mine is uh, gonna go a bit. Kind of on that same kind of idea, going the Roush, not really a Roush, but Ford drive team. Uh, so one of my favorite schemes from this year is one that featured a cup driver not driving for his cup team. Uh, now, this is it's something that's kind of been lost in the lower series, especially now with new NASCAR rules saying limiting how many races a cup driver could compete in. But, you know, there was, there was a period of time where it was not uncommon for a cup driver to compete in the Xfinity Series or the Nationwide Series, the Bush Series, what have you. Uh, with a team other than their cup seat team. And they could run limited season, limited schedule, full schedule. didn't really matter. Uh, so, But it's kind of been lost. You don't really see that very often anymore. You do see it from time to time now with affiliated teams. You know, Chase Elliott runs for, like, Hendrick affiliated teams and things like that, like GMS in the truck series. But, you know, you, you would never see a, a cup driver, you know, make it a point to race for another team uh, that may, might not be affiliated with, you know, your other, the other team, you know, think about Matt Kenseth driving a Chevrolet, despite being a Roush development driver. That was a thing that happened yeah. uh, for a period of time in the late nineties and early two thousands. So, uh, but one of mine, but, but in the lower series in 2010 and Greg Biffle drove the number 27 red man tobacco Ford fusion for Baker curb racing uh, for 10 races in the first half of the season. Now Biffle was supposed to share the ride with Scott Wimmer, Women were supposed to be in the events that Biffle wasn't. Uh, but essentially what happened was by halfway through the season, Redman uh, was unable to sponsor the car anymore because there was new regulations, FDA regulations, that said, uh, oh, now smokeless tobacco is now banned from being advertised in auto racing and in sports. So they were not allowed to, to 
sponsor the car anymore. And uh, so they ended up having to lose. They lost their sponsorship for the 27 car. And Greg Biffle, after that happened too, Greg Biffle, the uh, partnership with Roush ended. So Greg Biffle stepped out of the car and it was given to, you know, a, a rotating array of drivers. Johnny Sauter, one of them, Scott Wimmer, still doing some races for him. Uh, but for the most part, that was that. Uh, but Biffle, in the races that Biffle did run in the first half of 2010, uh, he did he did all right. He did all right in those 10 races. He It was kind of all over the place. He had some DNFs, but he did have two second-place finishes. Uh, one of those second-place finishes came at the second race of this uh, season in California and then in, at Richmond later in the spring uh, before he left the team. Now, the thing that I like about this car so much is it's it's so simple, but black and red paint schemes I'm always drawn to. For reasons I, I mean, it probably Casey Kane, probably Casey Kane, the black and red Dodges of uh, the 04 uh, and 05 eras. But, you know, those those kind of cars always draw me to it. But this one had a black, kind of a black base, but it had red accents and red, uh, red stripes going through it. So it was half black, half red. And uh, the hood was red on the car. And in general, I love the number font of the Baker curb back then, the 37 and the 27. Yes. Number font was just beautiful. It was one of the cleanest looking number fonts out there. Uh, it was very, very appealing to the eyes. Uh, so, but it was very sad to me when you know that partnership went away and Biffle stopped driving the car. And that's the last time Biffle raced in in the Nationwide Series. He's not been back into the Xfinity Series since then. So Biffle has been 100 percent focused on Cup and whatever he's doing now, uh, essentially since that that point. So. Um, sad to see, uh, sad to see, but Hey, you know, it's, it's, it was a cool car and it was a cool piece of history that I miss. And, uh, you know, Baker curb is still going strong. Maybe not in the way that it used to be, but you know, curb racing has been around for a long time and, uh, it was one of the cool, cooler things, but that's something that I wish to see too. A lot of it. I wanted to talk about the idea of cup drivers driving for non-cup teams in the lower series because that's kind of that that always i liked that i liked when kyle bush uh raced for his own team in 2012 i know he didn't win any races and that's why he went back to joe gibbs he put the car into joe gibbs house but you know that was one of the cooler things i think that was 2012 nationwide series was one of the coolest years because kyle bush was really he was competing for wins but he wasn't winning them and i think that's what made it so entertaining to watch at the time. So, you know, just like thinking about that, just like talking about stuff like that, because that was, that was a cool era that uh, has kind of been lost. Yeah, um, agree. So Josh, we've got a lot of winners to talk about this week. There's a lot of races period. We're not going to talk about all of the races that I've listed here, but I wanted to just do a little bit of, you know, just get them all out of the way. Tell everybody about the races that happened over the weekend. And, pro- and 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 mostly just kind of brag about how late uh, I stayed up watching a lot of these races because there's some <laughs> races that we don't typically talk about on this show or that I've just forgotten to mention, forgotten to talk about. Uh, but but there's some races this weekend that that are worth talking about. So let's start with Wednesday. Let's start with Wednesday, the All Star Race. So the three drivers that transferred into the All Star Race uh, via winning stages and and the whole. The shebang, Eric Elmerola, William Byron, and Matt Benedetto all got into the all-star race. Clint Boyer won the fan vote, and then Chase Elliott went on to win the all-star race uh, by himself, and that was a great drive by Chase Elliott. Maybe not one of the more 
entertaining Bristol race as we've seen in the past couple of years. But, uh, you know, I thought it was a good race. Um, next race we went to was the NASCAR Xfinity Series race to Texas. So Austin Sindrick was declared the winner after Kyle Busch failed tech. So Kyle Busch had 98 Xfinity wins, and then they took it away, and he went back to 97. So uh, we got – but Austin Sindrick now has won three oval races in a row, which is never – he's never done in his career. He's never won on an oval race in the Xfinity Series before, so now he's done it three races in a row. Uh, so that's huge for him considering the fact that, hey, man, the future is kind of up in the air with Penske right now. Nobody still knows where Brad's going. There's still rumors. There's still been people talking that – Papa Sindrick wants his son in, in, in the two car next season or something. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I'm still not putting all of my eggs into the ba- that basket because I think I think Roger would would be smart to retain Brad, but I think he would too. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but then Kyle Busch did come back later that evening and win the truck race at Texas. Uh, so it wasn't all bad. It wasn't all bad, Kyle. And, and you know what? The win at the truck race was was not like a, a win easy. that. It was not an easy win. Bush had to fight for it, and he did. And, you know, that's, and those, in my opinion, are some of the most fun races to watch Kyle Bush compete in is when he definitely doesn't have the best car, but he's the best driver out there. <laughs> and that's, that's they, when it's fun. Side note I think one thing that's made the races more entertaining the last two years with Kyle Bush in it is that he has reduced races to learn the car or the truck. Mm-hmm. So I think yes. that, that's that's given the field a leg up a little bit, and it's given him a leg down, but he's still got a leg up over everybody because he's just such a talented driver. I think that's just a little observation I have. I I think it's an absolutely correct observation. Uh, and then after that, we had the IMSA race at Sebring, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. I'm not going to talk about that, but I'm going to tell you who won. In DPI, Felipe Nazareth, Pipo Durrani won. In LMP2, Patrick Kelly and Simon Trumier one and then uh, in GTLM, Oliver Gavin and Tommy Milner won. Uh, GT Daytona, Jax Hawksworth and Aaron Tillitz won their class. Overall, it was Felipe Nazar and Pipo Durati. Um, the Arkham Menard Series raced at Iowa. Uh, Ty Gibbs was the winner there. Uh, that was actually I, you know, I found a place. I found some. I guess Mav TV has this deal with this service called Tiki Live. I don't know. It's very strange. Very odd. It's a very Hmm. odd thing. It seems almost like it's, I I don't know how to describe it. It seems like it's run by, and this is not to be a political statement. This is just a general observation, but it seems to be run by very white right-wing people. Uh, There's a lot of um, news on there that I don't really think is unbiased. Uh, OAN is on one of the packages, and so is Newsmax TV. And there's a lot of religious channels and a lot of shopping channels, but it's not very expensive, so it allows you access to Mav TV. So I bit the bullet on it over the weekend and was able to watch a little bit of the ARCA race at Iowa because I wanted to see some ARCA short track racing because mm-hmm. I feel like ARCA puts on better short track races, mm-hmm. and uh, that was actually true. We're not gonna, I'm not going to talk about it right now, but that was actually true. The ARCA race was much better at Iowa uh, than it has been the past couple of uh, weeks when it's been on these really, really long mile-and-a-half racetracks. So it was a better race. Was it worth the $5 I paid monthly? Maybe. <laughs> did put it on my credit card, so I'm going to completely ignore it and just pretend it's – and just pay it off with like I would any other regular pay it, credit card payment. But, hey, I've got MAV-TV now. So um, 
let's talk about IndyCar. IndyCar happened over the weekend with two two races, the Iowa Twin 250s. Race one was won by Simon Pagano coming all the way from the very last starting position to win the race. And then race two, Joseph Newgarden dominated essentially flag to flag after winning the pole. Uh, he won that race. Uh, MotoGP was in uh, Jerez, like we talked about earlier. Maverick Vinales was the winner there. Uh, he beat he had to beat Mark Marquez, and Mark Marquez ended up beating himself. And that's how he's not going to be probably in the race next week or in the coming week races. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Um, then I stayed up way too late, way too late, uh, to watch the European Le Mans series, uh, the four hours of Le Castellet which was actually a very entertaining race. It was very, very entertaining. European Le Mans series is great. If you don't, all the races are published on for free on their YouTube channel. You can watch them live and on demand for free on their YouTube channel. I highly recommend it. It was excellent. But uh, so we had uh, United Autosports winning in the LMP2 class. That was uh, Will Owen, Alex Brundle, their, their car. Uh, in the uh, LMP3 class, United Autosports won again. They had another car win, but in a different class. And then finally, in the uh, GTE class, uh, Proton competi competition was the winner there. Um, and then, oh boy, if you didn't watch, I feel better. You know, this is this is a bit tougher to watch. I won't it, d disclose how I watched these, but uh, it, Supercars at at Sydney uh, had three races over the weekend that were just spectacular races in every single shape and form supercars this is a thing actually forty dollars gets you access to uh superview in the united states uh but the problem is there's no that i know of there's no way to get it onto your television which is why i, I kind of have always been hesitant to bite the bullet but uh supercars had great races this weekend um i really like what they're doing and and i wanted to ask you josh about this real quick and we could talk about this a little bit later, uh, or maybe we can do it as an, a last-minute upshift and downshift. But Supercars has done this kind of thing where they've, first and foremost, Supercars now is hard and soft tires. And second of all, they have reduced the amount of tires that the teams have access to on the race day. Meaning, tire, meaning they realized that tire wear wasn't really happening, so they just took away more tires and now have said, okay, you guys get three sets of tires to run the whole weekend on. Or just about that. I don't know if it's three. I don't know. I don't know the specific number. But they basically told them you have a set number of tires you can work on. And they're less than what you used to have, and it produced some very ex ex entertaining races. So first, the first race was won by Scott McLaughlin, which I expected. But then the second two races were won by essentially underdogs, drivers who I did not expect were going to win. Nick Percat won, and then Jack LeBrock, who has quite literally was has been running at the back of the field like most of the season if not the whole season, and he wins race three. So that's essentially like Quinn Half randomly winning a race in NASCAR. I'm not saying Jack LeBrock is as bad as Quinn Half. I shouldn't say that. That's mean to him. Uh, and that's uh, maybe too much of a compliment to Quinn Half. But I, I still will say that that in and of itself was quite impressive to watch. It was a fun race, fun series of races to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, like I said, 40 bucks for a Super View. I think I'm going to have to pull the trigger here pretty soon. Because I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can let it just let let the supercar season go away when they have races that exciting. So, uh, Formula Three. Here's another race I stood up late for. Form, Formula Three was in Hungary. Race one was won by Theo Pucher again. 
again, keep in mind that ART driver is really good. He's he's 16, by the way. He's 16, and he's already got two F3 wins. Yeah. He's already got two F3 wins, and he's 16. So be uh, on the lookout for Theo Pucher. Future world champion? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see if he gets a – I mean, I, th- I think we, F2 races are going to see your future world champion pretty soon here. But race two and F3 was won by David Beckman. Uh, really, race three, race two in, 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 in F3, I want to talk about it a little bit. So what you had was you had uh, a couple of first lap incidents. Uh, Logan Sargent did fairly well. He almost came home with a podium on, in fourth in F3. He came in this race two. He did have a podium in the first race. He finished second, but was demoted to sixth after get, being given a time penalty for uh, passing uh, for a track limits violation, essentially. But speaking of track limits and interesting situations, so uh, you had a driver that was supposed to win, be, be essentially in the lead, uh, and I'm trying to uh, pull up the results again because I'm I'm blanking on some of it. Uh, so essentially, where where are the full results? I thought you would have the full results. Here we go. Um, Let's see here. Race two. Race two. Race two. So, and okay. So, race race one. Race one. I know I'm. This is terrible radio right now, but I'm doing. I'm doing what I can. I didn't look this up beforehand, and I should have probably looked up the feature race results. Here we go. David Beckman. No, I'm on the wrong. I'm on the wrong pay- website. I'm on the wrong website. I'm looking up the F3 results. I'm looking up the F2 results when I wanted the F3 results to show you how David Beckman won the race. So David Beckman. Okay, so let's go over. Let's go over how David Beckman inherits this race. So David Beckman is just running around. And he has a good. He's, he starts on the reverse grid pole. He's doing pretty well, right? And so he's doing. He's doing all right. And. Uh, but there's this other guy coming through. He's, he's flat flying. And uh, this is a, a man uh, by the name. Where is he? He got. Oh, okay. Brent, Bent Viscal. Bent Viscal. I couldn't remember his name. MP Motorsports. So he's flat flying, right? But he has a time penalty for avoidable contact. That's five seconds, right? But he made, manages to get take the lead and get a five second penalty, get a five second gap on Beckman, right? And so he's thinking, all right, he's got the Grand Prix win despite the five-second penalty because eventually he extends the, the lead to six seconds. So B- Viscal's got a six-second lead over Beckman, and all of a sudden they find out he's under investigation again for passing Logan Sargent uh, off the track. So track limits violation for an illegal overtake on Logan Sargent. And... Oh, essentially, he gets then handed another five-second time penalty. So now he's got a 10-second time penalty. So he's going to cross the finish line first. And what's going to make things even worse for him is with two laps to go, there was a safety car. So he could have only been given a five-second penalty, which would have taken him down. It would have taken it wouldn't it would have taken him off the win, but it still would have put him in the points. Yeah. Right. So, but then once the safety car happens, it eliminates that gap entirely. Mm-hmm. So he goes from potentially finishing fifth mm-hmm. to now he ended up finishing 17th despite crossing the line first and having the fastest lap. 
Well, that's a bummer. That's a definition of a bummer. I had to tell that story. I apologize for it taking so long for me to pull up the results. I probably should have had them pulled up beforehand, but uh, I digress. Um, and so that was an interesting race, Formula 2 race in Hungary. I want to talk about Robert Schwartzman because if you want to talk about a future world champion, it's this guy. Robert Schwartzman has already won. He is beating He's he's won twice now. He's won twice in F3. He's beaten his teammate Mick Schumacher handedly. Now Mick has admittedly had some pretty terrible bad luck on his on his hand. But dude, Robert Schwartzman, man. This is a guy, watch for him because there's a lot of people talking about who's going to go into the Alfa Romeo seat next next season. Is Giovinazzi going to still be there? Is Kimi going to hang it up? You know what's going to happen? He's a Ferrari junior driver. Schwartzman should be looked at as being potentially a Ferrari driver here very very soon. If he's not an F1 next season, I expect him to be an F1 in two seasons. Because if he's not in it next season, he's got to be in it at some point. Because Schwartzman has been showing unbelievable pace so far in F2. And Prema is a really good team. But Prema is not winning every season, every race. And, and it's definitely showing that they could... And Schwartzman is, I mean, I talk, we talked about him last season when I would talk about F3. I would talk about Robert Schwartzman. Of course, Yuri Vips was in there. Vips is over in Super Formula now. Uh, I believe he's still over in Super Formula. He, Red Bull didn't let him do the Formula 3 again this year, which I thought was a great disservice because he was a fantastic uh, talent out of Estonia. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Race 2 in Formula 3 season was won by Luca Giotto. Giotto. Uh, great race there for a uh, race two. not maybe as exciting as race one, but still a good one. Uh, formula one was in her, the Hungaro ring. Lewis Hamilton won, uh, got his eighth Hungarian Grand Prix win equals Michael Schumacher's record of wins in a single Grand Prix. So after having won his eighth Hungarian Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton now basically has another, uh, record and it is his third straight win at the Hungaro ring. Nonetheless. Um, and let's honestly just keep in mind that Lewis Hamilton is on pace right now to catch Michael Schumacher's win record this season. Yeah. I mean, he is he on pace. Seven, right? I think he only needed seven wins to tie, eight to break it. Yep. No, is it eight to tie, nine to break it, something like that? Something around there. I can't remember how many, but a lot. And he's on pace to win it, do it this season. Unless Verstappen or Botas can come around and give him a run for their money, I think right. he's going to do it. I think it's sure. very hard to say that he's not going to do it. If there's if there's at least 15 races, he'll do it. If there's 10, oh, yeah. it's questionable. If there's 15, the, over, the, believe, the probability goes up exponentially. I can't believe we're living in an era where Michael Schumacher's records are already falling, and I feel like they were just made. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're talking 15 years ago. Yeah. And they're already falling. It didn't even take that long. Like, as soon as Schumacher retired, two years later, Hamilton gets in a car. Basically. The first time, yeah. As soon as Schumacher retires, the new guard comes in with Alonso and then Hamilton. And, bam. It's been fun. It's been fun. And Mm -hmm. it looks like it's not going to stop. So, all right. Let's go into our last winner this week because I've talked a lot. I've talked too much. I've talked too much again, Josh. I had I had too much to talk about. Too many races I watched. I watched too many races. I should be like you and just watch the American races and not be so focused on European obscure races like the European Le Mans series at Lake Castellet. That's not obscure, but not very many people will watch it. 
not very many people, not a, not your average race fan. A casual race fan is not going to watch that race like I did. When you start watching European semi truck racing, then I might say, "Hey, we we gotta watch our time." <laughs> I may or may not watch that from time to time. Okay, let's say what you what you included on here. I oh, I'm not going to talk about that because I don't consider it to be a major race worthy of top winners. Okay, but I think LMS at Lake Castellet should have been. Tatiana Calderon finished fifth with Andre Negrau, and uh, well, uh, primarily because I don't know if you heard about Catherine Legg's injury. Yeah, that's uh, true. Leg Catherine Legg was qual- was was basically testing for this race for this upcoming race to be teammates with Tatiana Calderon, and uh, had an accident and was in the hospital. Broke had problems with her legs. Yes, I know Catherine Legg broke her leg. Ha ha ha. That's funny. Um, not really. It's not. You don't find like at least ironic in a way. It's ironic, not funny. Not funny. Well, I guess the irony is funny. Is that what I'm going for? I guess her injury is not funny. I think the fact. I think I'm just pointing fun at the fact that leg has a leg injury. Yeah, I think that's yeah. where the humor comes from. It, it, not it, okay. not so much that it happened to her, but yeah. so much that the names are the. It's a it's a it's it, it's it's a small chuckle. Yeah, it's a small. Yeah. It's it, it, she's okay. She's okay. So I guess we can laugh about it, but. Austin Dillon won at Texas. Austin yep. Dillon won at Texas. Who expected that? Not me. Let's talk about our top takeaways because I'm talking too long again. And how far? How bad are we on time? Forty minutes. All right. Let's get through these Xfinity series. Well, let's uh, talk about the race first, huh? Let's give our top takeaways for the All Star race because okay, let's talk about I the All Star race because I thought the the first off, we, there's a lot of changes that we got to talk about too that, that that happened in that race. First off, I think um, the underglow was a failure. There, yeah. You couldn't really tell it was there, um, and it would have been more interesting, I think, if the teams could have chosen their own colors, mm-hmm. and some teams would have had a better color selection than than the rest. Um, the numbers, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Some were good, some were bad, uh, being moved back. Um, I thought the racing was good. The problem was that people forget when the Cup usually races at Bristol, you have a 300-mile or 300-lap race before it. Um, with the Xfinity series, and in the fall you have the truck race. So there's 200. They two. I think a third. Think they have a 200 lap race in the fall. So there wasn't as much rubber on the track as before. Um, but still, I thought it was relatively good. I like a one groove racetrack at Bristol. That's why ultimately Bubba Wallace got punted because Michael McDowell was tired of getting moved out of the way in a one groove racetrack. Let's not forget that. So. Uh, I thought it was good. The racing was good. Um, I think the guys who won the the, the stages, I think Eric Amarola may have had a challenge later on, but he, he you know he had a strong car. William Byron, not surprising. I would love to see what Bubba Wallace could have done there. Uh, Clinton Boyer being the fan vote, good, good for him. Um, I'm not sure I buy him being the them saying he's outright. Maybe it's true. I thought Bubba would have got the fan vote myself. Bubba personally. was the fan vote. I'm sorry. I, but, I don't believe. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and. Drink the Kool-Aid and say Bubba was 100% the fan vote. The only reason he didn't win it was because his car got wrecked. Exactly. Now, and that brings up a point before we talked about last week, or maybe we, I can't remember now, but it, Brett Griffin mentioned it on, on the Door Pump of Beer Clear podcast. The fan vote winner shouldn't race in the open. They should just come out the day before and say, hey, guess what? You're the fan vote winner. You don't have to race the open. Go park your car next to the guys who are guaranteed in because they were winners. Yeah, because, you, I mean – so, you close like voting for most all star races in that most like like you close NBA All Star game voting closes at a point so you know 
who's going to play in it, right? You don't close it like right before the game is supposed to tip off and then you tell, oh, hey, by the way, everybody who's here for the like the, the skills competition or whatever, you know, go get ready, go get ready, you're going to go play. You know, they don't do that. They don't do that. You know, you let the drivers know like the day before, hey, BT Dubs, you're going to be in the big show because you won the fan vote. Uh, get ready. I, I agree with that. The fan vote winner has no reason to be in the all-star race because why are we still voting for all-star open? Excuse me. You're right. I mis- misspoke, but I think you're absolutely right because why are we essentially making them race and then not telling them if they're going to go into the open or not? Because, it, because it, you're right. It doesn't it, exactly. Cause then you see what happened. You know, someone like Bubba Wallace was robbed of the opportunity to race in the all-star race because he probably was going to be in that all-star race heading up and taken out by Michael McDowell, which again, I still would like to see McDowell's uh, response to that. Still haven't yeah. seen it. Um, I liked what you talked about when it comes to the underglow because the underglow was, I think a complete failure. It was cool for like uh 30 seconds. And then it, we, I quick, I think I, I talked to my girlfriend, Robin, and she said the same thing. She was like, it needs to be around the whole underside of the car. Like, the front tires need to be illuminated as well. Yeah, you know, look- the ground for it to work, except exactly for the, except for under the wheel well. But then again, at that point, I, I go back. To, it's a it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. It is a gimmick. But if they're they're committed to this gimmick, what they should do is get the front ends of the cars up off the ground, get rid of the splitter, and then you can really then everybody's happy. Just go you back to your the gimmick, five five and rule. you get less de- you get less downforce. Everybody wins. Yep, bingo. Bingo. I don't know. Maybe NASCAR is not as into the gimmick as we thought they were, but if they are really uh, into the gimmick of it, then that's what they should do. They should give the fans they should give the fans what they want and get the front ends of the cars up off the ground so that we can actually see the whole underside of the car illuminated. Get the whole car off the ground, not just the front end, the whole car. Well, the rear is already up off the ground, and that's why it worked. Side the side of the car, the side skirts. Oh, side skirts, absolutely, yeah, hundred percent side skirts as well. Yeah, but I mean, mostly the front front of the car because if the rear wheels are illuminated why aren't the front it just looks weird to illuminate the rear wheels and not the front wheels it doesn't make any sense it was like anybody who modifies their car to have underglow lights typically modifies it so that the front tires are illuminated as well Mm -hmm. so that's what i'm trying to figure out like why did nascar think like you want you want to like you want to uh, replicate what you see on the streets or are you just trying to create your own little thing like i I'm kind of confused. First of all, who puts underglow lights on their Toyota Camry? That's what I want to know, too. Is, is there somebody out there who has put underglow lights on their Toyota Camry? I've seen some pretty weird stuff. And, uh, I mean, I think I saw a Ford Pinto one time with, okay. with some sort of, like, jacked-up car stuff. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to – it's 2020. It was 2019, it was seven months ago. <laughs> So I mean, I, I I saw some weird stuff before this year happened. So people people I see people like to put rear wings on their Honda Accords, which never will surprise cease to surprise me. Because why a, would you put a rear wing on a Honda Accord? It's like the last car that needs a rear wing, right? Unless it's a NASCAR Cup Series car. Oh boy, getting into that discussion. Is Honda I'm, I'm, on its way. I'm, I'm just trying to. Counter We're you. not gonna talk about the that. Series race. Let's talk about the Xfinity series because Kyle Bush pretty good race, except for the fact that his car was illegal. Uh mm-hmm. it was pretty fun for the most part to watch some of that stuff. Uh Noah Gregson decided he didn't like Riley Herbst, which, you know, 
I get, but you don't have to show everybody. Um, five. You don't have huh? to show it. You, you can show it, but you don't need to show it on lot five. Right. I mean, now, it could be worse. Herbst could have been over in Iowa running Arca. Thank goodness he wasn't because Ty Gibbs then got an opportunity to show that he is probably going to take over that ride in the next two years, probably. Um Let's let's not kid ourselves. That's probably where Ty's going because his Arca. This is the thing about Ty Gibbs too. Is you have to keep in mind. Is I don't want to talk too much about Arca, but Ty Gibbs, man. You look at all the other drivers out there in Arca, right? Michael Self, Haley Deegan. You think drivers that should be winning? Carson Hosevar, uh, Zane Smith, drivers who probably should be up at the front winning are always in the races with Ty Gibbs, and Ty whips them every time. Uh, Ty, Gibbs, Ty Gibbs has talent behind the wheel. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm I I'm sure he's getting much better equipment this year than than others had in the past in that 18 car because of his last name, which is fair. It's all fine and good. All right. Dad owns the team. Take, use all your resources you can. If you're let's talk about Silver Spoon. If your grand if your grandfather owns a race team, use your resources. And you're telling me that if you had a grandson in the race. That you know, and you could give everything you could to him. You're going to do it. So Absolutely. yeah, I mean, he's doing great. I I mean, I think Ty Gibbs is a great talent. I think he'll be in the Truck Series next year, uh, full time. Because I no, think I think he's going to skip the Truck Series and go straight to Xfinity at this point. I don't know, man. I I don't know. I put him in trucks again, but you never know. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I would put him in trucks first, though. We'll see what Kyle Busch wants to do. We'll see what Kyle Busch wants. I'm still to do. not convinced that Rafael Asad will be back in the four. Next no, year. I'm not either. I'm not either. He has been underwhelming, just about as underwhelming as Burton and Gilliland were last season, almost, if not more so. Uh, but anyway, so the Xfinity Series, yeah, like we said, you know, Noah Gregson having his share of incidents and then ending up wrecked at the end of the day, too. So There's that, a lot of aggression from the youth. A yeah. lot of aggression. And I, I mean, I liked it. Um, I think there's, I tweeted about it, I think there's a fine line between aggression and overaggression and respect and disrespect. And, you know, it, it, that it was crossed a time or two. And then, and, but I look at the incident, like with Cindric and, and Graxon, I don't think that was intentional at all. First off, they mm-hmm. never touched. That was all. No, air. that one was all an air racing incident. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate Cindric coming on the radio and saying, Hey, I could have, I could have been nicer to him, which is great. Mm-hmm. You, you can have, you can admit your mistake. You know, I didn't touch the guy. But I could have given him a slight break. Yeah. So, you know, I think and then and then, you know, Cindric it, it paid off for him in the end. He got second, but then ended up was given the win. Um, you know, I'm always sad when that Twix cookies and cream car is not in victory lane. That is a bummer. That's um, twice. Yeah. That's twice now this time. But uh it was it was a good race. It was a good Xfinity series race. I was surprised because I think when we talk about the traction compound I expected the traction compound to come in a little bit more because it was definitely very hot at tex- in Texas down in the. This is the first time we've ever run a Texas race in Ju- in July, which first and foremost I thought was stupid, but I guess we survived. Nobody died, so I find it intriguing. It ha- they sh- I'm surprised that they didn't have trucks running on Friday night, Xfinity on Saturday night, and biting the bullet with Cup on Sunday afternoon. I think they should just run everything on, on at night. I mean but, that that too. I mean that too. But I don't know if they were willing to put Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's probably true. Um, and speaking of the truck reason, series, I don't know what the reason would be? Well, you had 
you had IndyCar on Saturday night, so maybe NBC didn't want to conflict oh, yeah. themselves. So there's that. That that's probably it. The IndyCar races had took took. Uh, you don't want to do anything conflicting, and plus, it can be hard to get a network broadcast on Saturday night to be, you know, well viewed. You know, most people aren't doing things on Saturday night. They're probably not watching NBC on Saturday night yeah. unless they're a race fan. So. Yeah. Um, I want to move on to the truck series here real quick because we talked about the traction compound. It definitely looked like traction compound was more, in my opinion, Josh, I want to hear about your, what you thought. Um, but in my opinion, it looked like it was indeed better during the day races than it was during the night races. But the truck series, it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was terrible. It was, it was terrible racing. It looked like they could pass on the outside. Um, you know, and Kyle Busch had a great run. Uh, he had a great race. He had to come from back a couple of times, and you know he, you know, just did Kyle Busch things. Um, and and you know you saw you saw a pretty decent race. It wasn't the most exciting race, but it was it was a decent race. What what are you some of your thoughts about the Truck Series here? Because I kind of want to just go through some of these races a little bit quicker than I normally would, just for the sake of time here. But I want to you know, catch some of your thoughts on the Truck Series here, Josh. Well, I think going for the whole weekend, the the Cup Series is is questionable, but you can't have two different layouts of PJ One traction compound. No, right, you can't do that. But I thought it was unnecessary to have the PJ One compound in turns three and four, at least as low as they had it. I thought, um, it just especially in the truck race. It was just a one-lane groove. No one went down to the bottom after restarts. It was follow the leader through, or the truck can follow you through unless you were superior to the truck in front of you, which that happens a few times. But when you're talking about the three best trucks at night with Christian Eckes, Kyle Busch, and Zane Smith, they were just freight training their way through turns three and four because that second groove, which had the PJ1 traction compound, was so superior. And that's the corner that's not screwed up. Right, I think it was actually kind of reverse of the IndyCar race, where oh, yeah. turns one and two were the passing opportunity, and off of two, and turns three and four, you had to set up the pass for turns one and two, which I think was was maybe even reverse of what's been at Texas in the NASCAR side. So again, if you were to put traction compounds in turns th- three and four, put it up in like the third groove no lower than the third groove and leave the first two grooves open and then do that. But yeah, I thought the Xfinity race was all right. Luckily enough, they had the right package to compensate tire wear was eh. truck series. It was too cool for the tractor compound to work as you said. So that, that those are my thoughts on it. I, it was good to see there was some racing going on and that was good. But I mean, again, just, it seems like, the truck series was missing something of its magic because of issues outside of their series. If you pick up right. what I'm saying. So I do I think that. I think that was the issue. I think you're right on with that. Um, I think that the truck series has been a little bit underwhelming this season, which is unfortunate. Uh, I kind of like, I love watching a lot of the truck series races, but it's, it's getting harder to watch them because I do, I don't know what, like you said, there's there's issues that are plaguing 
the series that are out of their control. You know, I think they, the series is, is of itself. You put it on a short track, it's going to produce a good race. You put it on a mile and a half, it's kind of up to the mile and a half to decide whether or not it wants to be a good race. You know, it's up to the track surface. It's up to the traction compound. It's up to it's the up aerodynamics, the tire. The tire yeah. I whether think, or not it wants to be a good I race. The truck series. It's the one series you can get away with having a splitter. Yeah. Um, and that's just based off the aerodynamics with the truck and the, the truck design. The racing's always been better since the racing in the truck series has been better since they put a splitter on, which is not something you could say about most of the other racing series. Yes. Uh, in NASCAR. So I agree with that statement, but yeah, you're right. It's just, it just seems like, you know, they need to have a perfect storm to have a good race in a mile and a half or even a mile racetrack. And it just seems like they're not getting that perfect storm that they need, uh, every week like they used to. Um, let's talk about some IndyCar. Let's talk about some IndyCar because we, let's talk about some open wheel stuff. Let's go IndyCar and then formula one back to back before we let you do, uh, your, we, before we jump into outstanding performance, upshift, downshift and your featured racetrack. Cause we've got, we've got a lot to talk about with, uh, F, with F1 and IndyCar. Let's start with IndyCar. So race one was, uh, you know, I thought Iowa put on a pretty good show overall over the whole weekend. Race one was pretty good, especially seeing Simon Pagano come all the way through the field from the very back of the field to the front. Um, qualifying was interesting, uh, the way they did it, where your first lap was your race one time, and then your second lap was your race two time. So Connor Daly scored the pole with his race one time, and then with his lap one time in race one, and then Joseph Newgarden scored the pole with his lap two time in race two. So kind of interesting there i kind of like that i don't know i kind of like that in a way that was an interesting way to do it and i i i did like it i thought it was very interesting so um i don't have any double headers in the future that you're right actually i would like to see that i would i would be very very interested to see something like that or if they did a double header at a road course like at uh uh road america what they should do is they should just just invert the field man Reverse grid pull, like like F three does, F two does, because yeah. if you take the top eight or top ten and invert it, not not like the you know don't take you know eleventh on back, but like I'm saying, take the top ten and invert them, then you yeah. get fun because the fast cars have to come through, uh, they essentially have to pass ten, nine, eight cars in order to get back to the front, and then that makes it more fun throughout the race. And car, we got the car count now. I even just invert the top fifteen. I mean, well, yeah, you could do I that, but I think top ten would be more fun to invert. I think the top ten would, would is probably what they would do, but mm-hmm. I would like to see top fifteen. But let's go ahead and continue on yeah. about what Iowa. So Iowa had had a fairly good race. Uh, one, it was very interesting. Um, like I said, Simon Pagano came from the end. You had that very odd accident uh, where they waved off the restart, and Colton Herta got the mm. got the memo just a little bit too late and flew over. Uh, he he just up and 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 flew over Renus VK, and essentially what we had saw as well with that was the uh, halo and the windshield, the aero screen doing its job, uh, both ends. I mean, it saved Marcus Erickson because a piece of debris uh, flew off of Erickson's visor, and it could have hit him in the head had the aero screen not been there. So like it would have missed the halo entirely. It was mm-hmm. the aero screen that essentially saved it from hitting Marcus Erickson's head. So, you know, Felipe Maza can continue to talk bad about IndyCar safety, but uh, even with the halo, Erickson in an F1 car probably would have gotten hit in the head, but in an IndyCar, he wouldn't have. So 
Yeah. I wonder if Felipe Massa has any anything to say about that. Uh, now, about they got, our arrows. A couple of tests that race that that prove. Yeah. Hey, this is the this 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 is the right move for open wheel race cars because Will Power had the same deal. He could have been hit by that that his own tire. Oh yeah, Power's tire just fell off and it, it it came right across his face almost like almost hitting him. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, it was just uh, uh, we had a lot of it. it, it it, it, sorry, I hate stuttering. We had a lot of examples of just how safe the new aero screen is when it comes to cockpit protection. And I am very happy to see that. We didn't see much of it in race two, thankfully. We didn't see a lot of attrition in race two. In fact, race two was done and over with in almost no time. Yes, a 250 lap race was almost was done in almost no time, and it was pretty much just a, a dominant win for Joseph Newgarden. He was a pole sitter, and he ended up winning the race. He didn't lead flag to flag, but um, and but it was a very uh, well done race for Newgarden. And in a season where we thought it was going to be all Ganassi with Rosenquist and Dixon winning all the races up until this point, now Penske sweeps the weekend. So I guess Penske is coming back. Uh, with a vengeance, they just got off to a little bit of a slow start, but now they're back. Uh, Will Power has got to find some luck though, because he's the only Penske guy now who hasn't won. Um, but he's and, had speed in a few races. I mean, all the Penske cars have had speed, right? They just been unlucky, you know. Yeah. Other than Texas, where Penske was nowhere to be found. That's like uh, I said, a slow start. Yeah, they 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 had they ran good at Indy. Power and got got the unlucky caution. Mm-hmm. Um, and Road America, they all just New Garden and Power both had un- unlucky incidences there, and now at Iowa they finally got their stride going. Yeah, and and you know another you know and another thing that we got to talk about is uh, the Andretti car's lack of pace. Andretti has yeah. really not had any pace whatsoever. Colton Hurd has had a little bit more pace than some. Alexander Rossi's had the pace, just not the luck. Uh, and then Ryan Hunter Ray, his tire fell off too. So we had another situation in which another tire fell off in race two. Uh, Hunter Ray's fell off, and that kind of set up for a 15-lap sprint to the end. Uh, and uh, it didn't really do a whole ton. It didn't really do a lot of a, a whole ton of changing things, but you know, it was it was still a good race. Joseph Newgarden leading uh, in the race. It was a good one. It was a good one. I think race one was a little bit more more exciting. The more restarts and cautions you have, but I thought it was a still, I was flipping back and forth between that and the truck race, which, right. But I thought, I thought, I thought it was a solid race. Um, and, uh, yeah, it went by, it it goes by quick Mm -hmm. in those cars when you're turning 22nd laps, man. Let's talk about some Formula One here as our last piece of news, uh, until we get into the cup series, last piece of open wheel stuff. Uh, so, uh, Hungary was really weird because usually it doesn't rain all that much in Hungary, but every time F1 comes in, it seems to just suddenly rain for yeah. no reason. Um, I don't know how that manages to be a thing, but apparently the mother nature just decides she wants to see Formula One when it comes to Hungary and then steer clear of the country all other times of the year. I don't understand that one, but um, no, so teams started yeah. on wet tires. And, you know, the F3 and F2 races, they were both run on, on wet tires as well. Uh, you know, it was an interesting strategy call from a lot of those. But eventually the, the track did end up drying up and everybody went on to the slicks over time. And, you know, this wasn't necessarily a, 
I wouldn't call this a memorable F1 race like we saw maybe the last two two races. No. Um, but uh, for Lewis Hamilton, it was an excellent race. For Max Verstappen, it was an excellent race. Yeah. Um, for Haas, it was an excellent race until it wasn't. Um, that's really it somewhat of a victory. It, you know, yeah, you're right. The 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 Magnussen finally scoring points was great, but then getting the penalty, taking one of those points away, that's that's not what you want to see. Which um, I, I will admit, I did not know. It was against regulations for them to talk to the drivers in the formation lap. I didn't know that. I, I didn't was, know that either. That's news I, to me. When I see that, I'm like, dang, that kind of stinks. I really thought that the formation lap would have been the best time to tell your driver anything. So I didn't know that was uh, against the rules either. But, yeah. I mean, here you go. So um, anyway, so... Uh, another piece of big news is just how uh, great of a race again it was for Racing Point. The pink mm-hmm. Mercedes is quite literally being the pink Mercedes is Lance Stroll. I I looked up for a minute and I couldn't real. I didn't read. It was you know we were getting into the later parts of the race and all of a sudden I look up and I realize Lance Stroll is fourth. And I sit here and I think to myself, now how is this happening? How is he outpacing Checo? You know what? Go racing point. Go go racing point. I don't even care. Yeah. You know, I say let's go for it. Uh, I, so- I, enjoyed, I enjoyed seeing both those cars run up front. Um, I hope that it's uh, it doesn't come out that, oh, by the way, they copied the car or something like that. I mean, I think that would be very difficult without actually receiving the plans. Um, but... You know, obviously there's some regulations that are being looked at. They said, hey, did you actually invent this or did you strictly copy it type of deal? Um, But it's nice to see another team running up front. It's kind of like, you know, as we mentioned last week, I think Mercedes has separated themselves from the field. And I'm willing to add Racing Point to a four-horse race for second. I would be too. I'm going to go ahead and add them to a that race as well um and uh as we do that because i realize we are pushing time here a little bit um let's go ahead and 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 end the formula one discussion here real quick because i i don't know how much more we need to talk about uh that hasn't already been discussed or we haven't already discussed um so let's go ahead here and jump into the cup series here real quick uh tires didn't matter in clean air it didn't seem like there was very much if at all tire wear uh, I do want to point out that uh, despite Austin Dillon winning the race, I thought that Tyler Reddick uh, definitely had the car to beat, uh, and it looked like he was the only guy out there who could uh, keep up with anybody on the outside. He was making moves on the outside, which was just, in general, exciting to watch because I didn't really think that that was something that could be done at this Texas configuration. Um, and seeing him be able to get runs on restarts and things like that, that was pretty good. So maybe, hopefully, if dri- more drivers are like Tyler Reddick in the future, we'll see something like that uh, more often. So congratulations to Austin Dillon um, on winning this weekend. That was his third win uh, of his career. Um, the first non-crown jewel win for Austin Dillon as well. Yeah, uh, That's that's uh, interesting. I didn't expect that. But, uh, hey, there you go. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to compare him to Jeff Gordon, but something that Jeff Gordon did. Jeff Gordon's first two wins were crown jewel wins, and then his third wasn't. Well, there you go. Um, All right, so let's go ahead here and jump into our outstanding performances here. 
as we uh, real quickly work to wrap up the show today. Uh, Josh, go ahead and give me your first outstanding performance because I want to hear yours because I think it is very justified. I kind of got mine a split performance, because, but it goes to the same people, essentially. So it, it's Haas F1 and Kevin Magnuson. So, you know, obviously they're on the full wet tires on the grid, and then at the end of the formation lap, both Magnuson and, and, and Roman Gujan pit. You know, they, they box and they come in and they put slicks on. Obviously, we learn after the race, they were called there uh, yep. with, with, with radio communications. But that early pit sequence puts them third and fourth on the in the racing you know, running order. I don't know the last time both of those cars were in the top eight, let alone the top five together. So good run by them. They were going to get beat eventually. The car's just not that great. Um, but Magnuson holds on for a ninth-place finish, obviously with the penalty, gets demoted to 10th, but it earns both, of, both him and Haas their first points of a point of the season in race three, and now Williams is the only one left without points scored. So, you know, good for them. Uh, in, a, in a season, they really need to, to prove to Gene Haas, hey, we are worth staying, staying in. I agree. I think that uh, I would I would hate to see Haas be lost to uh, the graveyard of dead F1 teams that never should have died. Um, HRT is not in that. That is in the regular graveyard for, for F1 teams that were doomed from the start, just like USF1. Um, and so my outstanding performance is going to go to uh, Tyler Reddick. And I talked about it just recently, like in the last minute or so. But he, I really think this guy deserves as much praise as he can get because, honestly, I, I don't think I have seen a rookie come into the Cup Series recently and have as much success as Tyler Reddick has. And I talked with, we talk about this on the show frequently, Josh. It's just how difficult it can be to make the adapt to make the adaption from running an Xfinity car into a Cup car and how difficult that could be. Uh, Tyler Reddick is, is proving me wrong. He's genuinely proving my theory wrong that, you know, there is no – major learning curve, apparently, that he can just plop himself into a cup car and start running in the top 10. I don't know if it's RCR has just gotten that much better. I mean, maybe they have, considering Austin Dillon did actually win over the season, which is something I did not predict at the uh, beginning of the season. But at the same time, I, I have to say that Tyler Reddick has just impressed me so much. And like I said, watching him make moves on the outside of the racetrack, which is not something that I expected anybody to do. Even with the traction compound, he was still able to do that. He put two tires up in the traction compound and managed to get more momentum coming off the turn two than I think anybody else was able to do all day. Uh, so that just impressed me the most about Tyler Reddick over the weekend. Well, there um, are anomalies, by the way. That's true. But, you know, I, I just I found his performance to be one of the most impressive, and I felt like I needed to give him the the shout out that he deserved and, you know, not to take away from some of the other great performances this weekend, like Lance Stroll's fourth place, uh, you know, but again, it's, it, this is a guy that is making a name for himself in the cup series. And there's really not a lot of reasons to dislike the kid at this point. I mean, I can't, I can't really say anything negative about him other than he is making it fun to watch NASCAR. Um, Let's go in here to the upshift and downshift before we get into Roller's featured racetrack. Uh, Josh, we'll go ahead and I'll try and run through this as quickly as I can to give you enough time to give your featured racetrack. So if you're new to the show, 
Uh, first of all, welcome, and thank you for sticking around this this long. I know I've been on a long tangents, and I know Josh has had very minimum amounts to speak, but uh, that will change next week, I promise. Um, so in our upshift and downshift question, we present a series of hypothetical questions and or statements, um, and we essentially decide, you know, what's your take on them? Do you upshift, meaning you agree on this statement, or do you downshift, meaning you disagree? Do you not think that this is uh, something that is good or whatever and uh, we essentially state our opinions on that and we move on to the next one so that's how it's played you can play along as well you could tweet the show again at robin roller or use the hashtag robin roller to play along with us we check the hashtag all the time i at least i do i have the hashtag pulled up on tweet deck so that it's always refreshing so i know if anybody's tweeting at the show so uh and i will like your comments usually if i can so let's go ahead and jump into that our first question of the day, NASCAR previously stated that no rate NASCAR races would be held at Iowa Speedway, but the Arkham Menard Series raced there this past weekend. Do you upshift or downshift that Arca is a part of NASCAR and officials should treat the word uh, treat and word releases as such, Josh? I upshift. They own the dang thing. I mean, it's a fi- it's now officially a part of NASCAR. Was it unofficially a part of the NASCAR ladder for decades? Yes. But now it's officially a part of it. So, and I don't like how we're kind of, even the media is treating it as such where um, there was a, oh, now crap, I can't remember where we were at, Pocono. You know, you had you had four races in, in, in two days. Actually, you had five races in three days. And then, you know, they had the same thing with Daytona coming up here on the one they go to the road course for inaugural time. They're going to have three races there. No, they're going to have four because ARCA. ARCA is a part of NASCAR. We need to word it as such. No, I agree with that 100%. I'm upshifting as well. That's actually really frustrating to me that they won't address it. I understand it's not one of NASCAR's three major series, but if it's traveling with the three major series, shouldn't it be included in the press releases? And it's owned by NASCAR. Yeah, you own the rights to it. You own the series in and of itself. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, But you own, own the rights to it. And why, why can't you just word it as such? Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. I don't mean to do that. I, I lost, I lost my Skype connection to you. So I can't see you. So I'm just kind of going by, uh, it, my phone's being weird. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, let's go ahead and do the next one. The NASCAR crash clock of six total minutes should be only counting down when the car is stopped in the pit box. Do you upshift or downshift? I've said this since the beginning. I upshift. Um, I think it's unfair to put a car on a crash clock just because they're on pit road traveling to the box or from the box. I think I know that's why they added a minute. But if you have to make multiple trips down pit road, that 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 puts teams, I think, in a box. I think from the time that the wheels stop, that's when the we, that's when the clock is running. That's when the car uh, the team crew members can go over the wall. Once the car's wheels start moving again, the clock stops. And if they Get out of there with five, with uh, five minutes, fifty nine seconds point or, or fifty nine point nine seconds left. They're good. You hope you meet minimum speed. So I I, I upshift. It should only be counting down while the car is stationary in the pit box. I upshift as well, and the reason why I'm going to upshift as well is because that worries me. That you know, if you have a situation where a guy is really desperate, you know. Throw caution in the wind, speed on pit road, you know. Who cares? You're going to the tail of the longest line anyway. That's not exactly a can of worms I want to open. You're, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. It definitely should be, uh, it, it should be, it should, the, the countdown should start when the wheels stop. You know, when as soon as that jack gets under the car, that's when the, 
that's when the timer should stop. So or should start, excuse me. So now we're going to upshift and downshift some of the paint schemes from Wednesday's All-Star Open and race based on their designs and number size. Uh, Josh, the way we're going to do this right now, and I know it's probably not how you you envisioned it, um, but for the sake of time, let's go ahead and let's just go through some of these, say one or two things about what we thought about them, and then move on to the next one. So uh, Actually, how I envisioned it. Oh, that's how you envisioned it? Okay, cool. Perfect, perfect. Because I actually pulled them up on JSKI so I can look at them now. But the wi- the winning race car, how about this? The winning race car, Chase Elliott's number nine Unifree Chevrolet. What do you think about that? I downshift, but just barely. To me, the one thing that's wrong is the number is, on the sides of the car is too small. I uh, upshift on it. Uh, I think it looks nice. I mean, I can agree with your uh, number is too small perspective, but from my perspective, I think that, you know, it looks like a fine car. I got really no issues with it. Um, Ty Dillon's number 13, Geico Chevrolet. What about this one, Josh? I upshift. I think, again, me, the the big thing is going to be the number and the sponsor. Uh, How big are they on the sides of the car? And I think his car might be one of the more perfect cars of the weekend. or the weekday, I should say. Uh, the 13 is a great size, and the Geico woot woot from the camel is good size as well. I upshift. I love the hump day scheme from Ty Dillon's Geico car. So, uh, and, and I got to say, you know, I've talked about it. I don't like this number placement. I don't like it at all. But if this is what's going to happen, I'm just going to have to accept it. So I'm going, but I'm, but I will say that Ty Dillon's was one of the better looking ones. And if this is something that we get, we get, if this is the quality of paint scheme that we're going to get, this is the quality of graphics placements that we're going to get, number size, things like that. I'm more open to it than I probably would be. But Ty Dillon's was one of my favorites over the weekend. Um, next one here, Kyle Bush's number 18 M&M's Toyota. How about you, Josh? What do you think? This is an easy downshift, um, but yet I feel bad for doing so. I like the creativity of actually not putting the M&M's logo on the side because the car's covered with M&M's, but the number is too small. It is too small for, for the car, I, they, and I, I don't understand why we have such a big differential here between cars, but yeah, this one is just way too small. Uh, enlarge the number a bit, and you get me an easy upshift. I think the number placement uh, could probably be not placement, but I think you're right. I think the number could be a little bit bigger to kind of show people, okay, this is Kyle's car. This is Kyle. I do, however, like, I'm not going to downshift on it. I'm really going to put it more into a neutral because I do like this car the way it looks, but it's not def- It's not something that I would uh, look forward to seeing. You know, this is kind of cool as a one-off paint scheme, but this is not something that I would like to see going forward. This is not the direction I'd like to see the uh, M&M's paint designer go in. I think they can they can do a lot more with an M&M's paint scheme like this. Um, there was There's a lot more that they can do, and I think they kind of played it a little bit safer than they could have. So uh, the next one, um, William Byron's number 24, Exalta Chevrolet. How about you on this one, Josh? <sighs> I'm going to go neutral on this one, but I'm going to point out the Exalta logo is too big in the 24, is too small. I like I like how the Liberty and the Hertz are on the sides of the car. Uh, but again, my main focus in this segment is that is the door. Uh, the, in between the two wheels, the Exalta logo is just too big, and the 24 is too small. You know, actually, I'm going to hard downshift on this because this is something that doesn't need to – this is a paint scheme that didn't 
really do the transition over to this style very well. Uh, the Exalta on the side just looks unappealing. The paint scheme in and of itself looks unappealing. Um, it doesn't make me think it's an Exalta paint scheme. It look, makes me think it's some kind of other random paint scheme that William Byron is driving that's where he's sponsored by some other brand or whatever heck, even Liberty University probably. I would mistake it for this. This is one that definitely the traditional number placement looks much, would look much better on a scheme like this because it would be much more simple. But with a, with the number placement the way it is, the, the, this just seems like a, a missed opportunity in my opinion. Um, so I'm up downshifting that. Uh, second to last one here, J.J. Yaley's number 27 Greenlight Ford. Um, I'm curious to see what where, what your thoughts are about this one, Josh, because this is not one I really thought about because it's a back marker usually. I'm downshifting. The green light is too big. I like how they got Rick Ware Racing on the side beside the NASCAR Cup Series logo, but the green light logo is too big, and the 27 is A, too small, and B, way too close to that rear tire. I don't like how it's kind of working along with the tire uh, rim cutout, so... Um, this is downshifting for me. Yeah, this is a downshift for me too. This is just a disaster. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know what to make of this. This just seems like, it seems like this was someone's first appearance, first attempt at designing a paint scheme like this. And this was like, they didn't even get any constructive criticism. Like they just said, yeah, this looks fine. Whatever. Slap it on there. I'm downshifting. I don't even have anything constructive to say myself. So, final one. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek's number 38, Yanmar Ford. What do you think about this one, Josh, before we finish up? I upshift. Another great example. Um, this, it could be, the number could be a little bigger, but it's still it's wide enough. You know, mm-hmm. that that's the key. And the Yanmar is, is, is not uh, overbearingly large. Um I like this one. I think this one, and I know I mentioned Ty Dillon as the best one earlier, and it still does, but this one is like a 1B, uh, you know, very, very close second uh, in best paint scheme of the night. You know, I don't, I don't hate this one. In fact, I really love the paint scheme. As I just told you, black and red is something that I will always, you know, be drawn to. So I have no complaints about this one. This is one that actually works both ways on the traditional number placement and on this new number placement for the specific all-star race. I think this is one that works perfectly. So I'm upshifting this one because it looks great. And uh, let's go on to the final upshift, downshift question. We're talking about Quinn Half here, basically. Do you upshift or downshift on Brad Keselowski's statement on how drivers should graduate to the Cup Series level and also be able to be demoted should too many mistakes occur? Josh, I want to hear your thoughts about this before I turn the uh, keys over to you to take Roller's Featured Racetrack. I upshift... I'm going to break it into two. I upshift the driver should graduate. I've been saying that for a few years, and I've been heavily saying it for the past 18 months, that we need to have some sort of graduation system. I haven't called it a graduation system, but I like this. I like the terminology where, where you earn your way up um, and you have to meet certain requirements. I kind of downshift that you should be able to be demoted because I feel like that's really – that 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 can be really objectionable, objectionable, and I think if you have a clear set of ways to graduate, that's good. But if you've met your ways up, because you can make some mistakes, and 
you know, it, it's up to perception at that point. So I, I kind of don't like that part of it, but yes, absolutely. It's the easiest upshift I'll do this year that you should have to earn your way up instead of, oh, I brought some money. Oh, oh, I'm someone's big name, whatever. I get the ride. So it's an easy upshift on that one for me. And if you want to know my exact idea, go to Twitter I'm going to be posting it because of time. I won't share it today. Okay. That works for me. Um, my opinion on it before I turn you loose, it needs to happen. It worked perfectly with the F1 super license points. You don't see people like Pastor Maldonado in there anymore. Granted, Maldonado technically would have had enough super license points anyway before because he was a race winner in GP2. Um, so that's maybe a bad example, but hey, you know, I it needs to be done. Some kind of super license system would be ideal. Uh, but like you said, Josh, I'm curious to see what you have to post on Twitter. But I, and I'll read that when it when I do. Uh, and for now, I'll go ahead and turn it over and uh, give you the reins for Rollers Featured Racetrack. All right. Well, let's hopefully let's close this out in a good way here. So near the Columbia and Yakima Rivers in Washington State, the United States government built the town of Richland to help support the facilities being constructed for the Manhattan Project during World War II. After a few residents scoffed at, at the government regulations uh, in the town of Richland, uh, which, which sat between the two rivers, uh, some people packed up, moved their stakes to the west side of the Yakima River, and established West, west Richland. And about two decades later, a permanent racing circuit arrived in the form of Tri-City Raceway. So named for the cities of Richland, Kennewick, and Pasco, and located along Highway 224, just west of West Richland, Tri-City Raceway had a soft opening in 1968 before a full slate of races in 1969. The track is a half-mile tri-oval. The front stretch leads into a tight 90-degree corner. The short shoot then leads into a sweeping turn two, which they call the dog leg. And then after the back stretch between turns two and three, uh, turn three is somewhat narrow. It's a little tighter. And then that's a full lap at Tri-City Raceway. And like I said, it's a half mile. So throughout the years of operation, TCR hosted a variety of uh, forms of racing from pure stock, mini stock, and street stocks to open wheel modified wing sprint cars. NASCAR also had a presence at the Speedway with the NASCAR West Division uh, visiting nine times and the NASCAR Northwest Series visiting 44 times. In 1968, in race 13 of 20 of the Pacific Coast Late Model Division, Ray Elder became the first to win at what would become the NASCAR Canyon West Series and now the ARCA West Series. Uh, He drove a 67 Dodge in 100 laps, leading 64 of them uh, to victory. Elder would later go on to win two NASCAR Cup Series races, both at Riverside International Raceway. Uh, Elder is a six-time champion in the West Division, and fun fact about him, uh, he, uh, his first career win in the Motor Trend 500 at, uh, at Riverside on January 10th, 1971 was the first race in what is considered the modern era of NASCAR. Hmm. A little tidbit there. Uh, Ray Elder repeated in 1970 at TCR after Jim Cook won in 1969. Uh, the West Division didn't race in ni- there in 1971, but when they did return in 1972, Jack McCoy won the race uh, before the uh, largest West Division field at TCR of 24 cars. The West Division uh, wouldn't return until 1989, and Canadian Roy Smith won the race 
Uh, Smith took the lead from Bill Schmidt with four laps to go and led to the end. Uh, it was also the only four laps he led that night. Butch Gillen, father of David Gillen and grandfather of Todd, uh, he finished 15th after he dropped out uh, completing 98 laps with engine issues. Herschel McGriff finished 16th, second to last with transmission issues. Uh, and uh, by the way, Rob, the race was named the Pontiac Excitement 200. We all know how you love Ooh. Pontiacs. I do uh, love Pontiacs. Roy Smith repeated in 1990, and it would be his 15th and final career uh, win in the West Division. Uh, the 1994 uh, West race at TCR was won by Mike Chase. P.J. Jones finished fifth, uh, but he was the first car one lap down. Ron Horday Jr. was in the race uh, as well, but he finished second to last and 16th in the number 75 Spears Chevrolet after dropping out with transmission troubles. Uh, the final visit to TCR by the West Division was won by Jason Jefferson, who passed Kevin Richards on lap 123, and uh, Richards had led the first 122 laps. Jefferson led the final 28 circuits on the victory. Uh, speaking of Jefferson, Jason and his older brother, Jeff Jefferson, won the final six NASCAR Northwest Series races at, at Tri-City Raceway, uh, winning three apiece, going Jeff, Jason, Jason, Jeff, Jason, Jeff. Huh. Try saying that about five times fast. Uh, so the all-time all, all in, in, in uh, Northwest Series history at Tri-City Raceway, uh, Toby Butler won six times with John Dillon and Garrett Evans, each notching five wins. Garrett Evans uh, also raced in 41 of the 41, 44 races at TCR, uh, and he was the inaugural winner in 1985, where he and his Pontiac led 79 of 100 laps. Evans' stats at T TCR also include a record 954 laps led, uh, nearly 400 more than second-place Toby Butler. A record 21 top fives, another record of 27 top tens. He also completed the most laps, uh, 4,623, which is kind of easy to do when you almost race in all the races there. Uh, surprisingly, though, he is tied. I know it's surprising to be tied. Surprisingly, he is tied with Butler with the most pole awards with three. When I hit, when I when I looked that up, I'm like, I had to recount that and <laughs> say, really? He only had three. He was so good there. He only had three poles. All right. Uh, some well-known names race at Tri-City Raceway. Chad Little, Davey Hamilton, Derek Koch, Mike Bliss, and Damon Lusk. If you are a really big Bush Series fanatic, you will recognize Damon Lusk's name. Uh, but easily the most famous driver to turn laps at TCR was Greg Biffle, who did so before becoming the 2000 NASCAR Truck Series and 2002 NASCAR Xfinity Series champions. Uh, Biffle won the 1995 to 1996 TCR Late Model Championship when he uh, would race at Portland Speedway, the old Portland Speedway, on Friday night, and then would head back to West Richland to race at TCR on Saturday night. Uh, the last full season at TCR was in 2004, but there were a few races in 2005. Uh, that's when the engines would fall silent for the final time. Today, the grandstands are gone, and the site is a shell of its former self. As far as I can tell, the port of uh, Kennewick, who bought the land in 2008, still owns the, the track and the land around it. In 2019, West Richland uh, Police Department expressed interest in the 92 acres of land as a location for a new police station, as well as an athletic uh, athletic fields and further commercial development. Uh, the Port of Kennewick has pre previously expressed its own interest to build facilities to support the local wine industry, winery industry there. 
so, but uh, prior to the sale in 2008, the last thing I'll end with here, uh, Greg Biffle actually did make an attempt to buy the track, but the offer was rejected. Hmm. So, pretty unique little track, uh, you know, half mile, trioval, like Pocono, but just a lot smaller. So, that was this week's Rollers Featured Race Track. Yeah, hey, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. That's I always love learning about those racetracks, and I've definitely learned a lot again. So thank you so much for teaching us all about that and teaching me about that specifically. No problem. Mm. I enjoy it each and every time. Right on. All right, let's go ahead and wrap things up here. What's in the windshield? We're looking uh, out because we've got a lot of races again. We've got a lot of races again. Not as much. Not as much. But more is coming. Uh, Formula One and IndyCar are both off this weekend, but NASCAR is in Kansas. So the NASCAR Cup Series races the Super Start Batteries 400 on Thursday. Thursday night, this upcoming Thursday night at 6.30 on NBCSN. The Gander RVs and Outdoors Truck Series will race on Friday and Saturday. The first is the Digital Ally 250, uh, delayed from last month, and that is at 6 o'clock p.m. on FS1. That's on Friday. And then the second race on Saturday is a replacement for the canceled Chicagoland race. The Kansas 200 will be at 12.30 p.m. on FS1. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series goes to Kansas with the Kansas 150 at 9 p.m. on Friday on FS1. And then finally on Saturday, the NASCAR Xfinity Series races the Kansas Lottery 250. This is a replacement for one of its canceled Iowa races. This race will start at 4 o'clock p.m. on NBCSN. I believe that's pretty much it for most of the major races this week, unless there's any obscure races that I find out throughout the course of the week. I believe that's it. So that's what's in the windshield. That's it for this uh, episode of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Uh, we appreciate you being here with us uh, to watch the to listen and watch along with us on uh, weekends and whatnot. So we are very thankful for you for joining us again. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter if you liked the show. Uh, I am at rpeters33, R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3, and Josh is at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one, and the show can be found at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. We are so thankful for you uh, tuning in this week, and we hope that you will be back next week where we will be able to talk mostly NASCAR mostly nascar so uh stay tuned if you're not mostly nascar fan if you like the other stuff that we talk about the crazy stuff that i'm obsessed with then you'll be uh looking for our podcast in two weeks time uh and i want to give a plug real quick josh and i were both on a guest podcast this morning uh and we will be posting links for that if you want to hear that uh here within the next few days so thank you again for listening to the Robin Roller Podcast this week, and we hope you have a great week and weekend, and stay uh, enjoying all those races. Stay safe, wear your mask, and we will see you next time. For Josh Roller, I'm Rob Peters, and this was the Racing with Rob Ed Roller Podcast. Take care, everybody. <laughs>